I would come home from visitation, visit pastoral visitation, at the end of the day, and there she's crying in the living room. I'm going like, what is wrong here, Shona? I mean, yeah. you know, you, we've got a great church. We live in a lovely place. We've, God's bless us with three lovely kids. Above all, you're married to me. You know, what, what are you going to stand about? You know, yeah, exactly. Male counseling there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and she would say, I know all of these things are true. I can't stop crying. Today on the podcast, we welcome my friend, Dr. David Murray. Dr. Murray is a seminary professor, a pastor, and author of numerous books. Dr. Murray also holds a really special place in my heart because he walked with me very closely through one of the darkest times in my life when I felt like the wheels were coming off. And so he really has proven to be wise and faithful. And I I commend his uh, counsel to us today in the strongest possible terms. I want to apologize uh, from the outset for the quality of the audio. I'm still getting used to the technology of recording podcasts. And uh, so in the future, it'll be better. But we were just going straight from Zoom. And uh, all the content is there, so you won't have a problem hearing it. It's not my preference in terms of quality. And so hopefully that will improve in the future. Thanks for listening, and we really commend this conversation to you. It's a privilege to welcome Dr. David Murray today to the Vine Church podcast. And Dr. Murray um, has a very unique place in my life, and maybe I can give a little background. Um, about five years ago, um, my father had recently passed away. And we had just at the same time walked through one of the most challenging, I would, now I would say the most challenging um, experience of my ministry career. And all of that kind of wrapped up. My, my father passed away and the ministry situation at the church um, found a resolution. And a couple months later, um, I found myself just kind of coming unglued. And what that meant for me was a lot of very irrational emotions that I was not aware that I was capable of. Um, Nothing like um, necessarily sinful, but definitely some behaviors that were not out of the norm for me, like um, a desire for isolation, extreme isolation, inability to bring myself to talk to people. Um, I didn't really know what was happening. Uh, I could cry. For no reason, seemingly no reason whatsoever. And um, I reached out to a close friend of mine uh, who had a relationship with Dr. Murray, and he recommended that I reach out to him. Um, and I did, and I started meeting with Dr. Murray. And I heard one pastor that I was networking with say that Dr. Murray saved his ministry. And on the human side of things, of course, I would say probably the same is similar with my relationship to Dr. Murray because um, I was in a place that seemed unsustainable and where it kind of seemed like either things were going to change or I was going to have to resign at the church because I was having a hard time functioning through deep anxiety and an irrational darkness that later I learned was 
depression. So Dr. Murray, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Zach, it's a real joy. You're, you're a very courageous man to be so transparent and honest and humble. But um, this is the kind of transparency and honesty that the church really needs in this area and that will bless many people. So thank you, Zach. It's, it's been a joy to know you and you've been a blessing to me as much as I have to you. I appreciate you saying that. What what do you remember about those first early days? Do you remember anything specific when I reached out to you? And um, I mean, were you thinking this guy, <laughs> what were you thinking? Like this guy is needs to just pack it up and go home? Or was it like, nah, I've seen this before? Or what, how, how did yeah, you discern that? I, yeah, I'll, Zach, I just thought you were a normal guy um, who reacted in a normal way to many abnormal circumstances and, and things like that. It's, it didn't strike me as anything out of the ordinary. It's just, for, uh, we're broken people in a broken world and yeah. we are weak and we are frail. We have a lot of natural strength, you might say, when we're younger, but as we get older, that that wears thinner as responsibilities multiply, family multiplies, congregations multiply, problems multiply, and and eventually almost everyone I know comes to that point where, okay, <laughs> uh, do I pack this in, yeah, or do I learn some lessons that will change the way I live and do ministry, but which will be much happier for me and will be even a greater blessing to those I serve as well. And you chose the latter, Zach, although the former was very tempting. Yeah. And um, there were moments, of course, when that decision looked far more attractive and uh, wiser even. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you kept going, you persevered, and here you are today to tell the tale of you know, God's superabounding grace. Yeah, amen. Um... Yeah, and it 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 doesn't feel like the um the battle is necessarily over, and it, you know, like we've talked about, it probably never will be uh, this side of new heavens and new earth, but it's definitely better, um, definitely better. And you've equipped me with some strategies to think about um, just holistically being healthy as an image bearer um, in a fallen world. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm so, so thankful for that. Um, cause I thought that my, I mean, I thought I was like the only one, like they don't tell you about this in seminary. Like, Hey, just so you know, you know, in 15 years, you may hit the wall and, <laughs> and, and just have all these irrational emotions and thoughts and, and, you know, but well, I, I think, thought I was know, like the only helped. one. I thought I was just losing my mind. You know, no one ever talked to me <laughs> about this, you know, it varies those Zach, although everyone hits the wall, the impact of it varies. So you you felt it very much in in your emotions. Uh, a lot of people feel it more in their in their bodies. Like for example, myself. We've talked about this a lot. It's really my body has given up a number of times mm-hmm. with various illnesses and conditions that that linger with me to this day as well, to a degree. Yeah. Um, but there's other people who it, it shows itself in falling into sin and immorality or, or backsliding just, you know, your devotional life, your spiritual 
life just dies mm-hmm. while outward ministry is still like going crazy. So I think everyone hits the wall, at least I should say everyone who is diligent in ministry and conscientious and zealous and and out to serve the Lord. Of course, you can make ministry a really lazy, easy job. That's not mm-hmm. used that. It's not 99% of the people I talk with. Um, so if that's you, eventually you're going to go beyond your limitations and suffer mm-hmm. consequences. And I think if I remember backward, back to that time, I think one of the things we talked about a lot was the, the importance of a, a holistic view of oneself so that you don't separate your, your soul, your spiritual life, your ministry life from your body. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you overuse your body, overuse your mind, eventually that's going to take a toll on your soul and on your emotions and things like that. And I think that's, for some of us, it's a hard um, concept to grasp because we think, well, I'm doing the Lord's work and it's for the Lord's glory. Surely I should get extra strength and help. And I mean, I believe God does give that for a time. Mm-hmm. but not as a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so it's more, yeah, there's going to be peaks in our ministries where we have to really spend ourselves dry, but we also have to, in the long run, develop a pace that will help us finish the race, as a mutual friend of ours often says. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you talking to me a lot about, I don't think you use these words, but the concept of just embracing your limitations. Um, and that was one of the things that you really challenged me on that was the hardest for me was that your schedule and your, what you're committing to, um, has to change. And I resisted yeah. that. And honestly, when I talked to Kim about it, she's like, you know, cause she likes to run <laughs> with high RPMs too. And so in yeah. some ways we make a, we make a good team until we don't, you know, yeah. and, uh, and she's like, yeah, that's all these limitations he's talking to you about. Like, that sounds kind of boring. And I'm like, I know it sounds boring. <laughs> and and you said to me multiple times, because I'm I'm hard headed and, and probably strong willed in some ways, like you can be a flash in the pan if you want to be. I mean, you can go out in a blaze of glory if that's what you want. Cause that that is what will happen, you know, is what you told me if you don't make changes. Right. Um, or you can have a ministry that's a marathon and probably has the potential to to bless a lot more people for the sake of God's glory and, and their joy, you know? And so I'll never forget that. Like, how do you help people though, that, that just, man, there's, it seems like in our culture, especially in Christian culture, there's at times um, just a deep desire to produce, to produce, to produce and pressure to produce, you know, like if you're a missionary, like I got to write the letter with that. That's like, you know, showing people that you are given support to me and it's, it's, we're seeing results or, you know, if you're a small group leader, you know, you want to have some amazing testimony from every week, you know, leading the small group. There's like that pressure. Like um, it seems like, is that, isn't that a theme that you see? Yeah. I, I think it's especially a theme in North America that I, I saw it in the UK when I pastored there, but I've certainly seen a lot more of it here. I think there's maybe even more of it since you know, the internet took off 15 years ago and people are seeing others' performances much more. So, you know, we could be pastoring Zach in Madison or whatever. You wouldn't know what the guy in the next town was doing or even the next church down the street. Right. 
But now you're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and it's like a constant feeding into you. He's doing this, he's doing that, they're doing this, they're doing that. And and what it actually feels like is each person is doing everything. Right. And, and therefore you think, well, I've got to do everything that all these people are doing to just keep up. But no one's actually doing everything. That's what it feels like. And so I think one of the, the areas is, yes, uh, remembering who we are, trying to please ultimately, which is God. Uh, and secondly, I think at times you, we have to cut off the streams of pressure that come into our lives that are giving us that performance-itis or comparison-itis and just release us to just live before God rather than vertically, rather than living horizontally all the time. And so I, th- I think there's some pretty radical steps can be taken there to, to just change our mindset, change our worldview, change our view of ourselves. What are some of those steps that you think are most important? Yeah, well, I think you can choose who you follow, number one, on mm-hmm. social media. Yeah. Or you can limit yourself in terms of time you spend on on these things. I think you can though ultimately it's it's to try and get the heart more god oriented mm-hmm. and you know really try to be that god please oh lord what will you have me to do not what i want my elders want my congregation or the wider christian community what did they want what do they want to see it doesn't mean we go out and about and just you know find people and are careless with people no but it's it's like who's first and who's most in our a sense of who we are serving. And I think just to try and cultivate that with that limitation aspect as well, because it's, it's not easy to bring our limitations to one another. That feels like I'm being a wimp and they're just going to think I'm a wimp. But we can bring our limitations to God, knowing that the God on the throne had limitations himself when he was here on earth in human nature and had to sleep and had to take a break, Mm -hmm. had to withdraw, Mm -hmm. didn't do everything that was possible to do, Mm -hmm. and yet never committed a sin of commission or of omission. And to me, that's the most incredible thing about Christ. Not that he didn't commit sin, but that he didn't omit a duty. Mm -hmm. He didn't, there was nothing he he failed to do that he should have done. And yet he, you don't get the impression that he was running around crazy all the time. Right. You get the sense of very steady, stable, strong, calm, walking here, walking there, um, spending lots of times with his brothers, his disciples, chatting, enjoying the creation, and just you know keeping physically fit as well in that you know, mountainous region as he traversed from Jerusalem to Galilee and round and about. Yeah. And and saying no to people at times as well and saying, no, that'll have to wait. Even, you know, people who are bereaved. Right. So I think that is, is ultimately the key. So cutting off some of the horizontal, but really connecting vertically. Yeah. That's really good. I have a theory about social media that corresponds to our modern spirituality. And it's like the lie from the garden from the enemy is you can be like God. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like social media and the internet gives 
us the impression that that's attainable. And it's not overt, but it's very, very subtle because Facebook, Instagram, when you search on these platforms, it's an infinite scroll. Yeah. And so it gives you the sense that you have access to infinite possibilities and I have infinite knowledge of what's going on around me. Like I can scroll for literally all day on Facebook. It will keep giving me things. Instagram will keep feeding me images of what people are doing. And my brain just feels exhausted after that. Yeah, I and I think it's because I wasn't created to, have, to own that much knowledge of what's going on. Only God can handle that much knowledge. And so exhaustion is first. And then that exhaustion can easily lead to anxiety based on the issues that you've brought up of, of like, well, I don't measure up and I'm not perfectly, you know, I don't look as perfect as all those people. And man, like, it's just, I've grossly limited my social media um, yeah. in the last year or so. And uh, I find that it's really helped. Um, yeah, that feels I, like I think that's great insight. I, I love that idea of the comparing it with the temptation in the garden. Mm -hmm. I can be like God. I can be everywhere. I can do everything. I can know everything. You're yeah. right. That is like that's the lie that we're hearing. You're right. And that we try and pursue as well. That we reach out for it and, right. and try and take into our lives. I, I was. I think though it's also not just social media, it's the media. It's not just that personal use, it's the news in general. Right. I don't think God designed us to know so much about what's going on in the world all the yeah, time. Who can handle all that information? Well, one can, especially <laughs> in this pandemic thing. Like, right. you know, it's hard enough seeing in Michigan alone the numbers dying. But, you know, now I've got a ticking. You know, a ticker on CNN telling me as every person drops off the planet. Right. And, and then we get images from India and from Brazil and from China. And it's just like, I, I, I wasn't meant to know this because yeah. I can't carry this and I can't right. respond to it. Right. And it just it tears your heart apart as well as your mind. Right. Uh, you know, I go back to like even when I was growing up, Zach, and it wasn't too long ago. I'm only in my early fifties. Um, you know, we get one daily newspaper a day, right? And um, the news was over in about fifteen minutes at night. And most of the news was actually it was the, called the Glasgow Herald from Glasgow, Scotland. So it was mainly Glasgow and a wee bit of London, mm -hmm. and then the news fifteen minutes. So, but now. You, you've got the news from every single part of the world at, at the draw, at, at the click of a button, even without right. clicking a button, it's just streaming into you. Right. And, and it's, it's like sorrow overload because it's not good news. It's right. always bad news. Right. Um, I remember when I was in seminary, we get taken to a, a media training day with a BBC guy, a journalist, and he said to us, Every single story in the media is either bad news or public relations or advertising, basically. Yep. He said, um, people pay to get the good news on, but we'll give you the bad news for free. So I think they know this because it's bad news that gets eyes and it gets ears because they know that we're attracted to what's dangerous and makes us feel unsafe because we feel we've got to know how to face that and confront it and overcome it. Right. Yeah. Fear sells. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like that, um, you know, he, 
he's got the whole world in his hands, but the internet gives you the illusion that you can kind of have the whole world in your hands, but you're just not strong enough to carry that. And it's just exhausting. And so no wonder people, I, I think, I mean, I'm not a sociologist and you, you've studied this way more than I have, but like, I think there, it would just stand to reason there's a correlation between people's mental health yep. or spiritual health and, and our culture of the internet and information. Yeah, I think it, it, it's not even, it's actually during our sleeping hours as well as our waking hours. Mm-hmm. A lot of the research is showing not just the effect on the brain through the day, but the brain takes a lot of time to slow down from hyperstimulation, even when asleep. And until it gets into a certain depth of sleep, the brain does not cleanse itself. Um, you know, the brain's been described, uh, sleep has been described as the washing machine of, of the brain. During sleep is what cleanses the brain. It starts chemical processes. And actually, a lot of the research into Alzheimer's is showing that the same um, chemical that builds in the brain to create Alzheimer's is the same one that builds in the brain after social media use and short sleep or shallow sleep. Hmm. So I think we're not just we're not just seeing a mental health crisis in the moment, but I think we're building one for the long term as well. You know this incredibly delicate organ God's put between our ears. Mm-hmm. It has to be stewarded. It's, yeah. it's limited in its life and its ability. And uh, I think a lot of us are going to reap the whirlwind of that sooner than we'd like. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've written uh, a number of books and uh, you can just search for David Murray on Amazon, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, to see what you've written, but a, a couple, um, a couple books I'd love to just talk about. You wrote a book called "Christians Get Depressed Too." Is that the correct title? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Why did you um, like? How did you? Um, you don't just sit down and decide to write a book one day, or maybe you do. <laughs> well, I don't. That was the first book I ever wrote. I never thought I'd be a writer, Zach. I remember when I came to Michigan to teach at Puritan Reform Seminary that. My boss, Joel Beakey, said to me, you know, what's the first book you're going to write? And I kind of looked at him and thought, I'm not writing anything. I'm a, I'm a speaker. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. Like, I'm verbal. I, I never write. I never wrote my sermons out. I did a rough outline. But, yeah. Um, but I began to see the need for this book. And I'd actually preached a sermon series on it in Scotland before I came here, which was in response to my own wife falling into a depression, a mm. bad one, around about the birth of our fourth child. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't something I could handle. It wasn't something I knew what to do anything about. I was a pastor and I, I didn't have a clue how to pastor my own wife through this. I'd been taught in seminary that most depression, if not all, was the result of personal sin. Yeah. And yet I knew my wife, she was far more godly than I am. And there wasn't, I mean, she's a sinner, but there wasn't any, you know, obvious personal sin in her life. Though she was searching for it, I was searching for it. We couldn't find it. And it was actually her father, who's a very experienced pastor and dealt with a lot of depressed Christians in Scotland that helped us understand that the the spiritual symptoms she was experiencing were not were not the cause of the depression but the result of the 
depression. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the cause of it was more things like exhaustion, burnout, multiple stresses and strains and painful events in, in our lives over a couple of years, including a massive church split. And that she needed to address the physical side of her life with rest and exercise and, and hobbies and getting out with friends more, medication. And as she did that, her spiritual life returned. She felt a sense of God again, felt able to pray and read her Bible. And, and it's, so I'd approach this problem with Christians can't get depressed. I, if you're depressed, you're either not a Christian or you're in a terrible sin. Mm -hmm. And and the whole experience taught me Christians get depressed too, mm -hmm. and therefore when I saw I came over here and I came across this idea Christians don't get depressed Christians if are depressed are either sinning or backsliding I thought this is so wrong, and so just with that experience and this problem I just thought I'm going to write I'm going to take that sermon series and try and turn it into a wee book and it's just a little thing it's like what you probably read it in an hour hour and a half maybe. Okay. And it's a depression 101. It's just very basic. And yet it, it seems to have helped a lot of people just get some relief. Wow, I can be a Christian and depressed. And there's things God has provided to us yeah. in a very holistic way to help us recover and restore and then become actually more useful than we've ever been before. Yeah. So what, I assume your, your wife wouldn't mind this, you discussing this. Um, like, what did you observe in her life that you knew that this is beyond just having a bad day? Because all of us have bad days, yep. right? And if, and if my, let's say my, you know, my father did pass away. So your father passes away or your mother passes away and you have a season of just real sadness and darkness. Mm -hmm. That's different than like the depression that we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yep. Good question. So she's, she doesn't mind me talking about this. We've talked about this a lot publicly. She wrote a book about it called Refresh, Embracing a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture, or A World of Overwhelming Demand, something like that. Um, I should know the name of my wife's book. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the, so I didn't see it at first, is the truth. I would come home from visitation, visit, pastoral visitation, end of a day, and there she's crying in the living room. I'm going like, what is wrong here, Shona? I mean, yeah. you know, you, we've got a great church. We live in a lovely place. We've, God's blessed us with three lovely kids. Bubble, you're married to me. You know, what, what are you going to be sad about? You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Male counseling there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and she would say, I know all of these things are true. I can't stop crying. Yeah. So I think that maybe that was the first sign, an irrational sadness. Yeah. So there's a, there are sadnesses that are rational. So they're like a parent passing away. Right. Yeah. And, but even in these cases, that, that rational sadness can become irrational if it goes on too long or too deep. Right. So I, I always talk about measuring the length of the sadness. How long does it go on for? Right. The, the width of it. How many symptoms do you have of, of the symptoms of depression? And the depth of it, how intense. So in her case, it was incapacitating. It, it, it made her in a, in, unable to perform her daily work, day after day after day after day. And, and I mean, she's a hyper-conscientious, type A, extrovert, far more than I am. And, and yet this was, and so it was totally out of character as and well. she's a physician, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And she didn't, yeah, I mean, she diagnosed many people with depression and couldn't see it in herself. This yeah. is a strange thing. Um, so there's that. Um, that she couldn't sleep. That was actually a terrible problem. Like she was going to bed, lying awake till two, waking up at three, pounding heart, sweating, couldn't get back to sleep again. Nothing we could do could, could fix that. Yep. And yeah, she just withdrawing from people, not wanting to go out. So yeah, I go through some of these symptoms and Christians get depressed too. And I mean, we, we really were on the edge, really, of her going into hospital. That okay. was, and we'd hid it, you see, Zach, as well. You know, here, I'm a pastor, and she's a pastor's wife. What will people think if the right. pastor's wife gets depression, you know? Right, right. What kind of pastor's that, or what kind of Christian is that? Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of stigma attached. And that is, it's better today. It's still not gone, but it's better mm-hmm. as understanding grows and ignorance is dispersed. So we'd left it way too long and we should have reached out earlier, should have got help earlier. It wouldn't have been so deep. It wouldn't have been so long if we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what you describe is kind of exactly what I experienced where mm-hmm. it was, um, couldn't sleep at all. Uh, I, I experienced a lot of anxiety. Um, was that Shauna's um, experience oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it does, and oftentimes depression and anxiety come together, but I, I couldn't sleep. Um, and just this irrational darkness of everything's horrible. And it's like there's a, a chasm that you can't quite bridge between the truth that you know is true logically and then this massive disconnect with no bridge to your mm-hmm. emotions. Mm, that's really well put, Zach. And and you know that you should be able to build a bridge and walk over there and connect the two, but you just can't figure it out. It's no. very, very bizarre. She, I mean, she was reading her Bible like nonstop. I would just find her at various points in the day in a room with her Bible, like desperately trying to find some comfort, some help, some strength. And then she'd be praying for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, one hour. And it was actually making her worse. It was like a torment. And eventually I actually stopped her. And I said, like, this is making you worse. It's making you more fearful, more anxious, more desperate. Imagine a pastor telling his wife to stop reading the Bible. Right. Right. I didn't say stop, but I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the Bible with you. We're going to read one verse. Because she was finding it even hard to concentrate. Right. She was exhausting her mind. So let's read one verse. And then we're going to just pray a short prayer. Then we're going to close our Bibles, we're going to get up, and we're going to go about our lives as normal mm-hmm. and trust God. Because the amount of Bible we read and the length of time we pray is not going to fix this. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a legalistic thing it became. And you know that didn't fix it straight away, but it stopped it getting worse. Mm-hmm. She was just digging herself into a deep hole. And I think probably what you described there, that chasm here, she's got the Bible here, she's praying here, and yet God is still on the other side of the Grand Canyon. Right. And I can't will myself over there. Right. Now, of course, God was there all the time, but it was just in her sense he'd gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bizarre um, to think like that, that might be something that we would need to consider, but that sometimes our mental state can be so um, 
broken that there could be a type of a control issue that takes over where if I just read my Bible more, then whatever. And it's like this transactional thing that we kind of are lulled into thinking where it's like God doesn't really operate with us based on a transactional mindset, you know? (laughs) Right. And I think as well, those of us who are like you, Zach, like Sean, and like myself too, we can do people. We can fix it. We can, we can make things happen. Right. And therefore you take that into, into religion at times, into Christianity at times. And so you actually end up being a wee bit, not more than a wee bit, you become a bit independent of God. And that's one of the, actually the tremendous blessings of depression coming out of it. That is that you come out of it with so much greater dependence on God Mm -hmm. and realize he can do, I can't. Right. And just, it drains you of that sinful self-confidence. Well, that was so much part of my story. Like, I didn't realize that I was sinfully self-confident until it's like, um, you know, for most of my life, you work hard, you figure it out, good things happen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and with this one, it was like, you know, that, that what I just articulated represents a control issue in a negative sense. It might not necessarily have to be a, a sinful control issue, but in my case, I think a lot of it was. But here I find myself, I can't even control my own brain. Like my brain feels out of control. And that's really humbling. Yeah. That was a a deeper depth of humility than I'd ever experienced. Yeah. And so, yeah, you do come out of that feeling more fragile and more vulnerable. And obviously, as we know, as we read our Bibles, God loves to show up and help and draw near to those who are fragile and vulnerable and are willing to admit it. You know, so in one sense, I wouldn't wish what I went through on anybody is horrible, yeah. but there are, there are depths of grace and mercy that you touch yeah. that I wouldn't have touched otherwise. No, no it changes us. Like, and, and even just the compassion we feel for others as well. That's right. Because I mean, I was utterly useless as a counselor to anyone with any kind of mental, emotional disorder. Cause I felt, you know, get it together, pick yourself up. Um, repent and believe more. Yeah. And now, uh, no, that's it's it's love, it's mercy, it's compassion, it's care. Recognizing I'm weak as well, and and that draws people as well. I, I know in America the the model is this hyper confident extrovert. Um, superstar pastor that's what attracts people well it might attract a crowd right Right. but it doesn't i i just i fear it doesn't attract to christ and right amen i think that you know that pastor who has been broken that christian who's been broken and and is walking humbly and depends on god I, i think that's got a power that it's not seen it's not it's not obvious to the world but but that's what God uses. That's who Jesus was. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Yes. You shall find rest for your souls. Yes. That's so, so good. Um, I think I want to, it'd be good to, to climb into the nuances here a little more because I, I, I see a potential for twin ditches. 
mm. with, with this issue. On the one hand, there's people that are just like suppress, suppress. I, like I'm not sad or, um, and they might have some things going on internally. And I think this was me for a long time. Just like, no, like quit being a baby and get over it. And you just got to keep going, you know, until you can't anymore. Yeah. Um, so there's that, like, you're not willing to admit or identify or even ask hard questions about anything that might be going on emotionally or spiritually. And then on the other hand, there might be some people that are like way too quick to like identify that they have some ailments that's, yeah. you know, have you seen, oh, yeah. have you seen yeah. both of those? You, you articulate that really well, Zach. Um, yeah, because yeah, although in some circles depression, anxiety doesn't get you sympathy, it will get you sympathy in in, in other circles, and it it sure. will get you pity, it will get you attention, and 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 that's attractive at times to us all. We like to be, you know, we like to have that spotlight on us, and people feel sorry for us, things like that. I always go back to the man at the pool of Bethsaida. Um, Jesus said to him, "Do you want to be made whole?" Yeah. And it seems like a really silly question. Sorry, Zach. That's okay. So. There's nothing we can't edit out, my friend. We're not a razzle-dazzle church that has everything all put together. It's refreshing when we have little interruptions like that. It's yeah. great. Anyway, you were saying. The man at the pool beside that, uh, do you want to be made whole? It's a strange question in a way. Of course he does. He's there. He's sick. He's lame. And yet, why would Jesus ask it if there was some question, if there was no question mark over it? Right. You know, he seemed to have some excuses as to why he couldn't get down to that pool in time, things like that. And, and I've often thought of the wisdom of that question. He never asked silly questions, Jesus. It was always with wisdom. He, he, I do feel there was something there that he saw. There was a victim mentality or something like that, a self-pity um, and, and I think he was basically saying, you're not using the means I have provided. And that's the question I would ask people who I think are, you know, going down that more passive victim approach to get sympathy or to excuse themselves of responsibility. Are you using the means God has provided mm -hmm. to help you get better? You know, if people are not prepared to, you know, say, take medication or even consider it, look into it, they're not prepared to change their lifestyle, you know, look into things like diet and, and sleep and exercise and, and avoid habits that have maybe contributed to their, their depression. If there's not a willingness there, then I really question, is that person really depressed? Because there's something about depressed people you know they want out of it nobody wants to stay here surely right, right. you know it's just it's the it's the pits of the universe mm -hmm. you know if, if i can see light even a, a a flicker of light i'll i'll do anything to to do that so that that's i'm not saying it's a fail safe way because you can be in a state of utter despair as well in a really bad depression and be utterly hopeless and helpless. But again, I think that's easier to see. You can tell when there's real despair and, and, and helplessness and when it's more an excuse, I, sure. I think. Yeah. yeah. 
the topic of, of medication, um, I think is still something that feels mysterious, maybe controversial in the yeah. conversations I've had with people. How do you help someone determine when it's time to pursue a, a doctor? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think there's two questions there, when to pursue a doctor and when to go on medication. I think you pursue a doctor if, you know, get get Christians, get depressed to look at the condition, the symptoms and try and work out, usually with the help of someone else, because you're not the best judge of yourself in that condition. Right. right. Wife, a husband, a friend, just, you know, use the checklist, yep. try and figure out and then let a doctor be the objective decider as to who you are and what's your state. Now, I think most, if you've got a good doctor, he's not going to run to antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds straight away. Right. Some might, but that's not, unless it's really desperate, that's not usually step one. You, you know, God's given us other means. So we want to try and adjust our lifestyles. We, we want to build routine and rhythm into our lives. We want to try and get more rest and fresh air, recreation, exercise, hobbies, friendships. Not a huge long list we've got to do every day, but just adjust our work rate and things like that and just see if that will lift us, if it will begin to help us climb out. But if that is not working, if we've tried these means and we're getting worse or, you know, especially if we begin to feel suicidal or something like that, mm. then that is the time to really ask the doctor, look, what do you think about medication? Or I'm sure if you're seeing your doctor regularly, as you should be when you're feeling like this, he'll be seeing the changes. He'll be seeing what's not working. And, and again, I would just let him be a judge or her be a judge mm -hmm. of when and how much. Um, the, the, I, I don't have any theological problems with medication for a problem that's afflicting the brain, just like I don't have any problems with it for other parts of my body. Right. Um, I think we, we don't want to rush to it. We don't want to rule it out. We don't want to rely on it alone. Medication alone will never fix anyone. Um, we want to be careful about side effects and keep our eye open for these. We don't want to be on them any longer than we have to. Uh, we want to be working on things like our spiritual life as well, so that we're not ignoring things and what i've seen with people who go on antidepressants and take the steps they do actually begin to see areas of their lives that need to be changed even mm -hmm. repented of and it can give a spiritual clarity that that wasn't there before so it's it's something i think just to take a balanced approach to uh, get help some use someone to help you take an objective approach to and, and receive this as a provision of God, a gift of God in his grace uh, to help us uh, be restored in a holistic way. Yeah. I think I can share a little bit about how you walked through this with me. And as I remember it, you know, in our first, I think it's probably our first conversation. I think you just walked me through um, kind of a checklist. You basically just, I mean, I just told you everything and, and you asked me some very personal questions that needed to be asked but like i think we talked about like how far from like everybody has a, a baseline normal mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. far because like 
if if you never get sad, you know, in in in, in a in a very profound way. Some people just are very stoic and they don't yeah. really get that sad, and their emotions aren't all over the place. Some people have emotions that are all over the place, and mm-hmm. so what's normal for you and how far have you deviated from that? And obviously my wife could help mm-hmm. discern that because she sees me yeah. every day yeah. and it's like, yeah, yeah, Zach, you're, you're not acting like you're normal. Yeah. Everybody has a different normal. And so you have to know what your normal is or have someone help you name what your normal is. And then how far have you deviated from that? For me, I deviated uh, uh, significantly. And then just, I know, remember you asked me a series of questions about, just my life. Like, how's your marriage? It feels pretty healthy. How's your parenting? Well, I mean, everybody has parenting challenges, but nothing feels uniquely challenging. It's like one of my kids doesn't have cancer or something like that. Um, you know, eating, sleeping, exercising. Yeah. I'm, I exercise like a maniac and I'm, you know, eat pretty good. Sleep is not going well just because I'm anxious all the time. You know, is there any deep, dark, hidden sin that you have not confessed? Right. You know, um, not that I'm aware of. Um, and, uh, like, is there anything, you know, uniquely happening in your life, like a death of a father or, you know, like COVID-19 or something, you know? Um, so you just rattled, you asked me to answer all these just normal me, you know, normal functions of being a human. Yeah. And, uh, it seemed like most of the boxes were checked. Like what I say to guys a lot or gals that I talk to, like if you come to me and, and tell me that you're really anxious and feeling really dark and depressed and you happen to be cheating on your wife, hmm. well, I'm not surprised that you're yeah, feeling dark and anxious. Yeah, and yeah. you know, you need to confess your sin and walk in the light. You don't need to go see a doctor right now. Right. right. <laughs> you know. But after you, you walked me through all of the, the, those kind of normal checklists of being a healthy human being, like, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you, yeah, I remember that yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, like I, I'm trying to delight in God's word. And you ask me all those spiritual questions and, and I'm just, I'm feeling like a train wreck. And, um, and you're like, well, it's probably time to go see your doctor. And you just told yeah. me to tell my doctor everything yeah. and, and don't hold back. And, but what we've talked about is, that, you know, medication is one slice of the pie. Yeah, yeah. And I have intimate experience with with people that have taken a lot of meds, but they viewed it as the whole pie. Yeah, and it, I know. And things did not get better. No, no. And I'm sure you've seen the same thing too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, meds do have a, a limited physical impact. You know. These kinds of medications are still relatively new. They are not always effective. A lot depends on the person. Uh, but what, what I would view them as is, is a help to using the other means that God has provided. Right. You know, rather than seeing it, like I take a tablet for blood thinning because I'm subject to blood clots in my body. Um, that's all I need to do. That's, I mean, I don't need to do anything else. But I take this daily rat poison, warfarin. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but with medication for things like anxiety and depression, that's like step one uh, in a package if you've got to that point where you need it. And, and it's that step that enables you to do the other things. Like, you know, 
begin to get sleep. I remember that's what happened to you, Zach. You mm -hmm. began to get sleep again. So, mm -hmm. and that has a knock-on effect as well. Okay, I can actually do work today because I feel I've got a will and a determination and a and a hope. And and then you know, okay, I've got a wee bit of energy now to do exercise. And mm -hmm. yeah, I can actually talk with my wife and enjoy it, not feel totally exhausted and isolated. So it's it's never the silver bullet. Right. But it's, I don't know if you can, I don't like to use that phrase. So I'm not going to use it in these days. Um, it's, it's not a panacea. It's not a, it's not a cure-all, but it, it helps others kick in yeah. that, that together will produce a, a package of care and cure. Yep. Yep. And I, I talk about it like it rounds, like the, the corners might be really sharp and all it does is just kind of round off the corners a mm. little bit. But it's never gonna um, totally like fix everything, um, and uh, it's it's like you might be at a negative ten, and it might you know what I say all the time is um, it doesn't turn you into some type of Christian superhero, no, you know. No, like, it just like might help you. For me, it just helped me feel like myself. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I just feel kind of oh. normal now. I don't feel like some superhero. I just feel normal. I think that's the common, you know, people, I've heard people say, like, I'm afraid it's going to change me. Right. And everyone else around them is going, I hope it's going to change you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what they I'm actually not... mean is, like, change them into someone they're not. But actually, the aim is to change you back to who you were. Yeah. And granted, there are, some, for some people, um, some very dramatic side effects. And that's on a case-by-case -case basis. And and we could certainly talk about those nuances, but you know, it seems like for most people, it's it just helps them function in a normal way. Like I can actually read my Bible now, and not feel like I can't focus at all. You know? Yeah, I know. Um, and and it may not be the first one that works. I had somebody recently, first antidepressant month, nothing. Second one, nothing. Yep. And so we're really beginning to question, is this really depression? You know, I was, I was about to begin to really press deeper. Like, is right. there some sin here? But then he went on a third one, and within 10 days, he was a new person. Yeah. So again, it's just the, the technology of these medications is not, not as advanced as many other medications. And it's partly because there's just so much mystery associated with the brain. And we're only in the last 10 years beginning to get brain scans that can show us how um, different a depressed and anxious brain is, even physically in its size and shape and functionality and the difference that medications can make. So I think we're, I'm very hopeful that God will give advances that will really help in the years ahead. Yeah. Yeah. What we say at the Vine is you know, it's a wisdom issue. It's not like a, a biblically explicit issue, but it is an issue that we need to approach with lots of wisdom and careful question asking. Mm -hmm. um, we're not in favor of just throwing pills at people's problems. You know, right. <laughs> and you don't want to go to a doctor that does that either, you know, um, but there may be a place for it. Um, like it is in my life. Um, it seems like through discernment and prayer and lots of discussion, like there's a place for it in my life. Um, that could change in the future, but we definitely don't want to just be throwing pills at problems. No. That's not, that's no. not wisdom, you know? No. So Dr. Murray, um, we can wrap up here. Um, 
but I've got one more question I want to ask you. We, we have um, a church full of young families. And I know, um, yeah, you, you have a uh, diverse family because you have adult children and you also have small children. And what yeah. a blessing it is to have such a diversity um, in your family. But you have more experience than most um, people at my church. My church, uh, we just took a survey and we are, let's see, about 88% is um, 44 and younger. Wow. So I'm the old guy. Um, I'm, I'm the old man for the most part in, in our church. And so a lot of young families. And as you know, um, young families uh, can very easily be running on empty um, in our culture. And, and um, what, what, what would you say, you know, if you could give a word of encouragement to, to the young families at our church? Um, in light of that, that a lot of the issues we've been talking about of exhaustion or, you know, emotions that seem a little crazy sometimes, like how, how, how do we um, give a word of encouragement to, to those from your perspective? Sure. To that yeah. group of people? Um, I don't know if this would be helpful in the summer. I've got a couple of books coming out. One is called Why Am I Feeling Like This? Mm-hmm. A Teenager's Guide to depression and anxiety and there's a an accompanying parents book or pastor's mentors book called why is my teen feeling like this Hmm. and so that's really one is to help the young person themselves deal with all the pressures and stresses of life and the impact it makes and the other is really saying you can't do this alone you need the help of your parents you need a team and, but also trying to help the parents understand the pressures that are on young people and the challenges they're facing and hopefully build a culture in their families and churches that will be more healthy for them. And so that, that's a more long-term thing that you know people might want to read and, and learn from. But I think first and foremost is to lower expectations. Um, of parenting and on the child or the children. Lower expectations. That doesn't sound Lower like, expectations. <laughs> that's not like that American what? culture. That no, doesn't sound like American culture. Well, you know, what's that old saying? If what you're doing isn't working, why do you keep working yeah. at doing it? Right. Um, right. You know, the, our kids are reaping what we are sowing. Mm-hmm. And I think we've got to, press pause and just try and really figure out what is going on here. The rates of depression, anxiety in teens before the pandemic was horrendous. It's like mm-hmm. you know, over a third of teens are have have life-altering anxiety. And the in fact, during the pandemic, the, the calls to helplines in some places have risen 800%, mm-hmm. believe it or not. But anyway, to go back to the point, um, Kids can't have it all. Kids can't do it all. And I think to try and, yeah, we want, you know, some of our kids need a kick and they need a push and they need a prod. But it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, this image of this perfect child with this 
4.0 or what is it, Dave? 4.5, you can even get or something. Yeah. yeah. And all the scholarships lined up and going to this top school and doing all the summer jobs and getting all the internships and going in mission and being in the sports teams and getting, you know, state championships and, and having all these friends and building your followers on Instagram. And, and, and it's just like, it's insane. No wonder our, our kids are cracking up. They don't know what's happening, um, mm. but a lot of it is being communicated to them from us. Mm. And and I would just say, you know, be try and help your kids be the best them they can be, but but not comparing them to others and trying to you know mold and shape them into this ideal American all star guy or gal. Just try and see, you know, what is God's purpose? Not what does the culture want? What are their you know, what is even my school one? Um, the pressures that they're under, it's, it's, when I compare it to what the kind of upbringing I had, it, it's just like night and day. I mean, I had two sets of exams in the year, even all through high school. We had no tests or quizzes through the year. It was just like end of semester one, end of semester two, we had a couple of weeks of exams. The rest of the time I just played soccer. And, you know, I was out at the park with my friends and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. And I, I mean, I hardly thought about my career until I was 17. Right. Uh, and, you know, now we've got kids enrolled in these advanced classes from, you know, age five. Yeah. And yeah, college funds being built up and all that. So I just think, I'm not saying give up on them. I'm not saying, you know, have no expectations, but lower them. Yeah. And even just a little, just 20% less expectation mm -hmm. and pressure can make a world of difference. Mm -hmm. And that, that involves things like, you know, having a, having a Sabbath every week. You're trying to get a day where our whole family just rests mm -hmm. and, and follows the creation order and, and takes this as a great gift. And just things like social media, trying to help our kids be disciplined with that. Uh, you know, keeping that out of their bedroom so that when they're up there or wherever they are, that they're they're at peace. Mm -hmm. School isn't brought into their bedroom. They can leave it behind, even for an hour or two a night. And and just think of ways of how to reduce pressure and expectation on them. I think that's the key thing today that that kids need. They need us to say, "Hey, you don't need to get a four point Mm -hmm. uh, you don't need to kill yourself with this, you know, training in the middle of winter for soccer that doesn't start till spring. Yeah. Uh, and just can we find ways to just take the pressure off? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a culture. We talked about this in a interview with my wife, specifically targeting young moms where the message is never explicit, but what's implied is you can have it all. Yeah. You know, no. like for a young mom, like you can no. have a career and raise these kids no. and you can make perfectly um, organic, free range meals, whatever. <laughs> and your kids um, can be, you know, perfectly behaved yeah. and you can serve at church and disciple all these women. And you can have an amazing Instagram profile that shows everyone how awesome you are. And you can be sexually available to your husband. And, you know? and the list goes on and on and on. It's like, no one can do that. Like, that's sure. a lie. And then we import that expectation onto our kids. Like, you really can have it all, and you need to be it all and have it all. It's like, well, yeah. no, that's only God. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
I mean, I, I love to tell the stories like, so here's me, I'm a, I'm a doctor of theology. My wife's a doctor of medicine and none of my kids are brilliant, right? Intellectually. Um, my two sons, 24 and 22, neither of them went to college. Well, one tried and dropped out after three months. They're both really good with their hands. One now runs his own painting business. The other has just started his own handyman business. Mm-hmm. My oldest daughter, she's 18, just finished school, she's going to cosmetology. Not exactly a highly regarded profession. Um, and I just love it. I'm not yeah. in the least bit disappointed. I just right. love it. My, you know, this is who God has made them, and I rejoice in them and I encourage them. And I hope I never, ever communicate any sense of disappointment. I mean, I know people look at Shona and me and think, are they frauds? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? And, How could you and, produce children like this? Exactly, you know. But I mean, they're happy and they know the Lord, Zach, which is, yeah, you know, yeah. the most important thing of all. Amen. You know, they're, they're following the Lord sincerely and heartily and they're working hard in their daily lives and, and they're happy. Yeah, it's not a sin to not go to college. No, no. You know what I mean? No. And they're not, I mean, I, unless, you know, something miraculous happens, they're, they're not going to be a $200,000 income, right? Yeah. It's not, not going to happen. Yeah, that's okay. But, you know, that's okay because it, it looks like they're in the place God meant them to be, using the skills that God has given them. They're in good relationships with the two oldest. One is married. The other's in a good relationship with a lovely Christian girl. And, you know, they're on their way to heaven. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, so popping the pressure balloon for many of us. Yeah, like you said, some of our kids need some coaching yep. and prodding, and but just as symptomatic of this culture we live in, at least in the type of culture that is mainly represented at our church um, popping the pressure balloon um, is probably partly what needs to happen. If not all of what needs to happen in not all of what needs to happen, but just in terms of a concept to be thinking about in our parenting and, and uh, how we live as young families. And a lot of us are doing it unconsciously. Um, Sometimes we don't even have to say anything. Um, so what we we do need to say is, look, I'm not asking you to be Einstein. I'm just asking you to put in a couple of hours a night, every night, and God will give you the the results you need. Yeah. Um, that's 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 all I expect. Yeah. God has blessed you with an exceptional brain. Then yeah, develop that, use it, and push it. Yeah. But again, don't you know? No one's going to be number one, and everyone can't be number one. Um, we've got to find our place within our limitations back to that word again and rejoice in it. This is who God has made me to be. Yeah. Well, Dr. Murray, this has been such a helpful conversation. Thank you so much for engaging and, 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 and blessing our people with uh, what you've learned and the wisdom that you've gained over the years. And so you've been such a blessing to me. I love you and trust you and are thankful for you. And, um, I think many of our people will uh, say the same after listening to this conversation. Thanks, Zach. I love you too, brother. The Lord's blessed us with this friendship and we've come to just really appreciate one another, learn from one another. You've helped me through things too recently, you know, as well, and talked me through some transitions in my own life. So it's always two-way. It's Mm -hmm. always mutual. We learn from one another. We help one another. And 
hopefully we're seeing Christ form in one another.